It's just smart to step back every now and again and reflect on why we do what we do. To take inventory on the value of how we're spending our time and what's filling our day. Because there is a world of choices, after all, of which responsibilities we want to undertake, what functions, activities, habits, positions. You can choose to spend all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given you under the sun, as Ecclesiastes 9.9 talks about. It's going to go fast, isn't it? Life is going to speed away, so we might as well take a look and think to ourselves, how am I spending my time now in this stage of my life? For most God-loving individuals, the reason we've embraced the roles that we have been divinely assigned have nothing to do, have nothing to do with not having any other options or forcing of the religious culture on you and I, or the suppression of my opportunities to choose, or the burying of our dreams, or that I'm a victim of misogyny, as some are disposed to imagine. The truth is, we are so blessed with so many opportunities. And even when it's a struggle, living out the role that we were created to live simply brings the most long-term fulfillment for anyone whose heart is set on growing the gorgeous fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, which is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And it's extremely fulfilling for anyone whose heart is set on growing the wonderful qualities in Second Peter. One, like diligence, faith, moral excellence, knowledge, perseverance, godliness. I mean, have you ever thought about fruit? Like fruit is like dessert. And a sweet life is found in these super life-enhancing qualities. It's very fulfilling. So a lot of us have chosen to be wives and mothers. It's been a choice, a conscious choice. And when one examines the role that God gave Adam's helper suitable and the oneness that they were to enjoy in Genesis 2, and when one observes the activities of the ideal woman of Proverbs 31, as well as the instructions given in the New Testament to women about their responsibilities in Titus 2, 3 through 5, it becomes apparent. It becomes apparent that almost everything revealed about the role of women relates either directly or indirectly to their relationships. The primary role of women is to plant, grow, and enjoy healthy relationships. Anything a woman allows to distract her attention from fulfilling this role will eventually lead her with regret. God in his mercy has freed women up from the responsibilities of church leadership in 1 Peter 2, 12 and chapter 3, verse 2. I realize I just said something extremely controversial. I cannot apologize for what God has said. And he has said that he has freed women from the responsibilities of church leadership and heading up the family in Ephesians 5.23. And for that, we should be grateful, and I am grateful, to still have an immeasurable influence, immeasurable, without the pressures, without the pressures of having the final say in very consequential decisions in these particular areas. 
if you resent not being entrusted with a more visible position or role, I think you're frankly underestimating the opportunities of a woman who chooses to live within the biblical bounds and you are overvaluing our present seats of honor. Uh, There's a parable that talks about people that need to be sitting in a spot where they get some glory and some honor and some attention. Ask being powerful. Look into the critical roles that the women of the New Testament played during the ministry of Jesus and the early church. Now that is powerful. Listen, women hold the key to keeping civilization intact. And here's my argument. Even if all men wanted to be immoral, they could not ruin civilization without our cooperation. We have what they care about the most. And if we uphold upright standards and expectations in order for them to obtain what they care about the most, our culture stays afloat. Hope you're reading between the lines on that one. One generation of women like this and most social problems evaporate, including abortion poverty, pornography, adultery, and etc. All of these are prevented because they essentially evaporate. That's powerful. And upholding civilization, preserving standards fulfills the woman's role to plant, grow, and enjoy relationships. The source of my ability to water my relationships depends upon the strength of my own spiritual root system. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, for he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to, year, nor cease to yield fruit. Jeremiah seventeen seven through 8. God has made it very clear how we build our relationships with him. Intently listening to his written word and responding with heartfelt obedience, John 14, 15. And with intimacy, casting all our cares on him, 1 Peter 5, 7. That's the key to having a well-watered spiritual root system Necessary for a woman to plant, grow, and enjoy relationships. When a woman has this strong root system, she is better able to help others plant, grow, and enjoy their relationship with God. 2 Corinthians 5.20 The social skills that come naturally to many women give them a special advantage in this most important task. Even believing female executives would agree. Sharing the power of the gospel and making an eternal difference in someone else's life trumps the power of climbing the corporate ladder any day. When a woman finds creative ways to make her marriage all it can be, she is fulfilling her primary role to plant, grow, and enjoy her relationships. Gary Smalley is right when he says that women often have what he calls a built-in marriage manual. Most women, he says, can tell you with accuracy on a scale of 1 to 10 
how healthy her marriage relationship is and can even tell you what it would take to make her relationship a 10. If you are a female, use your built-in marriage manual and decide what you can do today to make your relationship even better. If you're a male, you might want to ask the marriage manual that you're married to what it would take to bring your relationship up to a 10 on a scale of one to 10. She probably knows. And if she doesn't, you could put your heads together and I bet you could do that. When a woman finds herself by finding ways to love and serve her family, giving her children and those she loves best the best of herself in time and energy, she is fulfilling her primary role to plant, grow, and enjoy her relationships. Motherhood is an opportunity to serve in humbleness with no regard as to how our service might lead to self-promotion. How powerful the influence of women whose schedules truly reflect what they claim to care about the most. With a congregation, a God-loving woman does not waste her powerful influence in the realms of gossip, strife, envy, or complaining, but instead loses herself in her primary role to plant, grow, and enjoy her relationships. She, like George Bailey, remember George Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life? She may be unaware of all the differences for good that her life is impacting others in her congregation. But yeah, just ask yourself, who in your congregation today most needs your encouragement? And what a difference. You don't even realize what a difference you're making with those efforts. Even a woman's relationship with her community fulfills her primary role. She uses her influence when she helps the candidate with the highest moral standard get elected, when she volunteers for disaster relief, or writes editorials or to her congressperson, and gets involved in pro-life or other vital causes. I know a mom who, with her children, wrote their local grocery store suggesting a family file that would be free of indecent magazine covers, and the whole chain has now adopted that idea. She was using her power, the power of a woman's influence, to better her community and the shopping experience of young little eyes going through grocery store checkout lines and just made the community a better place that way. Your relationships are what you'd care about the most if you knew the limit of your time on earth. Not how much you earned, but how much you loved. Let's love well. In our culture right now, women, if they want to be trendy, are being socially programmed to be outraged. It's cool to have fists clenched in the air and screaming all red-faced about all the suppression of our gender. And I even just recently, I was listening to, I got through about half of a podcast where one of the most popular female thought leaders was interviewing an author of a very popular book, whose name I'm not going to mention. And they reframed the word good into a kind of a suppression and we're in hearty agreement of how good it is for one's children if you do what you want to do to have what they called an untamed life. The author has led by example by having left the father of her children for another woman. And one of her young children had announced recently that he too was not male, 
which of course caused all three of the adults, the two women that were together and the ex-husband to celebrate the beauty of living what they call this untamed life. And I guess maybe I'd be more angry too if I had not grown up around all the peace, joy, and love of highly functioning Christian families. But to be honest, almost all the men that I've been around for decades treat their women like royalty and knock themselves out for her to reach her potential. And I remember one time my husband was preaching and he goes, you know what I love about the women in this congregation? They're spunky. And that kind of stuck for a while. And it was kind of the joke among the women, you know, this word spunky was tossed around quite a bit. And I don't know, a few months after that, we had our annual retreat, and we were talking about it. And we formed this list together of what is spunky. And, and really what we mean by that is a woman whose confidence is in the Lord. And so we made this list. And so I'll share some of the things with you that here's how we define confidence. You know, this is kind of in contrast to the red face fists in the air and all the outrage. Um, we're, we're not feeling that. So here's what confidence looks like in our circle. A woman whose confidence in the Lord talks to the people that everyone else is afraid to approach. She's not intimidated nor overly impressed by the rich, powerful, or beautiful. She brings up the hard issues. She doesn't feel a need to show skin to feel pretty. She looks fear in the face. She talks to strangers. She has quiet strength, but not a spirit of timidity. She manages time, family, and finances. She tries new things to reach her potential. She takes needed goods to the Women's Crisis Center. She votes her moral conscience. She laughs at her mistakes. She contacts the authorities when she's certain a child is being abused. She makes all decisions based on conscience, not on fear. She never lets fear prevent her from doing what she can. She asks one who has gotten themselves in trouble what she can do to help. She hugs people in pain. She allows herself to be vulnerable. She writes an editorial to a newspaper about moral issues. She states when she's morally outraged. She's not afraid to correct her children for fear of losing their friendship. She forwards the posts that make a difference for the morality of the country. She encourages her congressmen to vote in favor of godly legislation. She admits her failures and her weaknesses. She tackles what she's been dreading. She confronts when necessary in a humble, meek, and quiet spirit. She says what needs to be said without being boisterous or coarse. She's not afraid to give her heart away. She's not afraid to not smile at the dirty joke. She's not afraid to laugh at the clean joke until her mascara is gone. Her sense of duty is stronger than her desire for self-gratification. She admits gently to her neighbor that she differs with her on her spiritual ideas. 
She doesn't compromise scripture to keep peace in her relationships. She wears her faith in her character and on her sleeve, and sometimes on her t-shirts and her social media and her decor. She makes the hard phone calls. She volunteers in the classroom at school to keep an eye on things. Within the church, the confident woman introduces herself to visitors after worship. She meets with the elders to discuss ideas, questions, or concerns. She learns to teach a new age level Bible class. She feels secure anywhere with Jesus. And she submits her mettle to her husband's authority to the glory of God. People are always in shock to hear the word submit. And I think that's because they are oblivious to what I call the cycle of honor. There is much that goes into building a deep, fulfilling marriage, but I've yet to see anyone improve on the creator's general instruction to do this. Outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 12, 10. That daily expression of honor is foundational to every healthy relationship and God gave us the blueprint for happy marriages that when it's followed, it has worked every time. And I like to call it the cycle of honor. So it's based in that outdoing one another in showing honor. And it is a glorious thing that will make your relationship function like a well-oiled machine. So here's, here's part of God's blueprint. So you guys know that the word husband means the banding of the house. He bands us. And so this verse that I'm about to read begins with God's blueprint for husbands. And so if you're picturing that cycle, here's where it all starts. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought, so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So did you know that marriage is actually this huge symbol for Christ's relationship with the church? It's supposed to be a walking parable about how highly functioning that relationship should be. And as the scripture here says that the husband is to love the wife as Christ loved the church. What did Christ do for the church? He allowed himself to be crucified. 
I mean, that's big love. And that's what husbands are called to do. Not literally, but they are to lay down their lives moment by moment in sacrificing. Even when it's painful for the well-being of their family. And I have spent 40 years being loved this way. And I can tell you that 98% of the time I get my preference. And Hubs does a ton of work in and around the house to free me up to pursue my interests like writing and teaching and volunteering for the victims of domestic violence or even running a marathon, whatever. He is all in. And First Peter 3 goes on to say that the husband is to be understanding to his wife and show her honor. And if he doesn't, God says there that he's not even going to listen to the man's prayers. I wish the world would stop saying that the Bible promotes the suppression of women. Are you kidding me? Opposite town, USA. So in verse 22, let's just get controversial right up in here. It says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. What? What? Yes, everything. So here's how it works at my house, and here's how I hope it works at your house, this cycle of honor. So this husband has crucified himself. He's laid down his own preferences day by day, doing what's best for his wife and his family. Here's how it works in my house. By the time he finally has a plan of some kind that is not my first choice, I am so buried in love debt that it feels like what he's asking of me is that I just need to pay a little interest, like nothing in comparison to how he has crucified himself for me day in and day out. I mean, the gratitude runs deep. Submission is no strain when he's been submitting his will, putting my interests ahead of his own all day, every day, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. Submission is no strain. It's my turn. He's been submitting his personal preferences for my personal preferences. It's my turn. So if you're a wife who wants to get the cycle in motion in your marriage, your creator says in this chapter that submission, obedience, purity, respect, a gentle and a quiet spirit are the answer. When even one marriage partner consistently uses his or her words and actions to express honor, it often motivates the other one to do so. And thus the glorious cycle, and thus the glorious cycle continues to perpetuate. What does honor look like every day? Here's a few ideas. Sister friend, instead of making your husband feel unintelligent and small, tell him all the things that you honestly admire and adore about him. So trade, that was stupid, in for, you amaze me. Be his fan club, and he will not need to go elsewhere to find recognition. You know, I'm talking on all of the authentic things that totally do amaze you about him. Let go of the grudges. 
If you are unable to influence your husband to change for the better, you can at least change your perspective. Instead of brooding over his record of wrongs, recall your own shortfalls. Dwell habitually upon all the things you saw in him when you first fell in love. And since you notice what you look for, your desire to honor him will grow. Count on God to accomplish in your relationship what you, by your own strength, cannot accomplish alone. Pray for the desire and the ability to meet his needs. Even better, get comfortable praying with your husband beyond saying grace at mealtime. Besides being effective, this will bring an emotional intimacy to your marriage that is extraordinary. Ask your husband what three specific things that you can do that would make him feel more respected and honored. Perhaps write them down in your prayer journal as a reminder, pray over them, and make the changes that you can. Start a cycle of love and honor in your house. Life is too short to miss out on opportunities to make your marriage all that can be. Outdo one another in showing honor. Make it a happy little contest at your house, shiny people, and have a beautiful day.